On a sunny Southern California day in the summer of 1973, my friends and I decided to conduct a seance. Being all of 13 years old, we thought we knew everything about the paranormal. We'd formed a mystery club a few months earlier which had yet to solve any mysteries. Most of our focus centered on seances. Nothing much had happened when we held them, but all of that was about to change. We rushed into my friend's house, and her father told us we couldn't occupy her bedroom because they were preparing to paint the walls. So we settled on sitting on her bathroom floor. Since it was a small room, all five of us were crammed against each other, seated cross-legged. Usually we turned off all the lights and pulled curtains over the windows, but this time we dwelled in sunlight. The leader of our group led us off by making a bold statement. If anything is here, make a terrible noise. Personally, I didn't expect anything to happen, but within 30 seconds we heard a cracking sound. Then we noticed the door moving. Upon closer inspection, we actually saw the bathroom door breathing. The wood came out about six inches and went back down only to rise again, just like a person breathing. The girl whose back was to the door climbed over me and jumped into the bathtub. Her rubber flip-top sandals hit me in the face while she scrambled past me, and I barely felt it. My back was against the bathtub, and I was the farthest away from the door, yet I sat frozen. I didn't know what to do and I remained silent in my inertia, while the other girls screamed. Every one of us saw the exact same thing, and after about 20 seconds, which seemed like an hour, our leader stood up and screamed, Stop it! Luckily, the door stopped all movement. We still sat in shock, but then someone had the bravery to open the door, and we all rushed out and down the stairs. Continuing out the front door to the street, my friend's mother shouted after us, What is wrong with you silly girls? Returning after a while, we checked out the bathroom door and it was solid wood again. Nothing out of place. Was it a poltergeist? With five 13-year-old girls in one spot, all focused on the same thing at the same time, it's a possibility. Or was it something much more sinister that we accidentally tapped into? We will never truly know, but that summer was one I'll never forget. Note, I have to add we were not on drugs. The only thing we did was too much sugar. And years later, when I attended my 30-year high school reunion, I ran into one of the girls with me that day. I asked her if she remembered the breathing door incident, and she did. The Ghost of Gonzalez Bay From Ezra Did you ever witness something through the eyes of your child self that you knew was real at the time, but your adult self questioned later? Not something traumatic, but something that nonetheless burns a pretty good imprint into your mind. My story this time is not rooted in comedy, and still leaves me feeling unsettled today. I can't quite recall if I was 10 or maybe 11, but it was a beautiful, early summer day in Victoria. I awoke to cloudless blue skies, and a short time later, our old-school wall-mounted rotary phone jangled. My best friend Danny invited me to go with he and his dad to hang out at Gonzales Beach and I excitedly agreed to go. Gonzales Beach was a long crescent of white sand tucked into a good-sized horseshoe-shaped bay. It was sheltered from the waves and cool winds off the strait, and was a fairly popular hideaway for beachgoers. 
It was hemmed in by steep banks which led up through dense foreshore brush, scrubby trees, and out-of-control English ivy, through scattered, vintage luxury homes clinging to rock bluffs, right up to the foot of Gonzales Hill and its signature triangular monument. We ran down the many stairs to the beach, ready for a day of poking around in tide pools, eating junk food, and exploring the animal trails in the impenetrable bush bordering the sand. The tide was low, and as his dad cracked a beer, we ran off to the empty end of the beach to play hide-and-seek. It was my turn to hide. The high tide line ran right up to a wall of willow trees and rose bushes, burrs and thistles, all strangled with invasive ivy. It was a definition of impenetrable brush. As Danny began counting to thirty, I scanned the thicket for a place to hide. The only access to the bush was a couple of round tunnels punched into it by the river otters, minks, and raccoons that were common there. But although you feel like a big kid in the fourth grade, you are roughly the size of a largest raccoon and capable of navigating their trails on hands and knees. I picked one and scurried up it, knees and hands in the clay. It had the fishy smell of otter shit. It narrowed until I had to go on elbows and knees. It was cool and shady with just a few flecks of sunlight poking through. After forty or so feet, I put my head down and with one last push popped out into a larger open area festooned with thick ivy. As I raised my head, I saw her. I blinked once or twice as my eyes adjusted. In front of me, not thirty feet away, was a woman. Not just an ordinary woman. She was seated on a fallen log. She was dressed in what I sort of knew at the time, but am very familiar with now, as Victorian-era clothing. A black, roughly hoop skirt, tight bodice with corset, and a hat with a veil covering her face. Even at that age, I thought, those are morning clothes. Instantly, my blood ran cold. I froze, half-standing. She slowly and deliberately turned her face towards me. Our eyes met. She was pretty, with pale skin, green eyes, and curly red hair. She appeared to be around thirty years of age. But the thing that has always stayed with me the most to this day was the look of deepest sadness in her teary eyes. It cut right into me, in a way I couldn't understand until I was older. Can't describe it, but I just couldn't look away. The whole exchange was maybe fifteen seconds, but I can't be sure. I finally tore my eyes off of hers, dropped down, and desperately crawled toward the bright sunlight of the beach. I literally burst out onto the sand, very shaken, caught my breath, and tilted my face into the sun. My friend ran up and asked me where the hell I'd been. I didn't tell him. I didn't tell anyone, for years. And it struck me later why he was wondering where I was, when, in my mind, he'd just stopped counting. If you go there now, it's still a beautiful bay, but the foreshore woods are all luxury homes now. The last time I went, it was very busy, and I couldn't discern exactly where it had taken place. I'm an atheist, or agnostic, or whatever, and not a fan of conspiracy theory or cryptozoology, but I have struggled for a long time to fit this story into that construct. I've even searched for reports of paranormal activity there on local websites, but so far haven't found anything. The impossibility of anyone getting into that outfit and getting to that spot is clear. I have often wondered what had happened to her, and who she had lost and when, and I realize I will likely never know. But I hope the grimy, blonde-haired, ten-year-old kid from the 1980s 
gave her some comfort when we met for that brief moment. The Cottage from Robin In 2006, after 25 years of living away from my home, my family and I had an opportunity to move back from over 500 miles away. I excitedly phoned my recently widowed mom and gave her the good news, and she exclaimed how amazing it was that I called just as she was picking up the phone to ask us to come back and rent a house she had just purchased. And so it was agreed. We moved during the hottest July on record. We arrived at the home in the dead of night, and my mother was so excited to show us the cute little two-bedroom rock cottage that we would call our home for the next eight years. My husband was immediately and vocally disappointed, claiming the home was small and characterless and generally just making an ass of himself. My four-year-old was thrilled. His room was his favorite color and had room for all of his bookshelves. But my reaction was quite different. I loved it. I loved its charm, its intimacy, and its quaintness. However, within minutes of crossing the threshold, I found myself swooning and violently vomiting in the tiny bathroom. That should have been my first warning sign. Chalking it up to the long and stressful day in the raging heat, we pulled a mattress off the moving van and slept on the floor. Over the next few months, we set out to make the little house our home, painting and scrubbing, planting gardens, and setting up my basement home office. As Christmas approached, we were settled in and we began to prepare for a happy holiday in our new home. And that's when the weirdness started. At the holidays, it was traditional for me and my son to bake large batches of Christmas cookies for gifts and for fun. And as I prepared for our baking day, I laid out all of the ingredients for our traditional favorites, including seven or eight spices needed for a spice cookie handed down in our family. But when baking time rolled around, the cinnamon canister was missing from the spices. Thinking I had just overlooked it, and knowing there were several canisters of cinnamon in the cupboard, I shrugged it off and went to retrieve it. It wasn't there. There were no tins of cinnamon to be found in the cabinet where my baking supplies were kept. None. Zero. Frustrated, I set about emptying every single cupboard onto the counters in search of the missing spice, frantically pulling everything out, and then carefully putting it back. My husband asked me what the heck I was doing to make such a racket, and I told him. He laughed instructed me to just make a trip to the nearest market and move on. Angry and frustrated, I took one more look at the baking cupboard, and right before my eyes, there were all three cinnamon canisters lined up in the very front, like a little row of naughty children, right at eye level, the contents facing forward in a row. I stepped back in total awe. How in the heck could that be? I just emptied that entire cupboard, and I knew those spices weren't there. As time went on, other objects would mysteriously disappear. My favorite hairbrush, my prescription sunglasses, an heirloom ring, only to be returned to their proper places days, weeks, months later. Annoying, to say the least. But then we came face to face with some real annoying behavior. We had installed a large ceiling fan in our bedroom to keep the room cool during the summer months. It featured round rubber buttons on the wall switch that could be held down to create a dimming effect on the lighting and also control the fan speed. While watching TV in bed one night, the TV inexplicably shut itself off. And as my husband and I began to search for the remote, the ceiling fan light slowly came up to full power on its own accord. Mind you, you have to hold that rubber button down to facilitate that action. My husband and I looked at each other, 
laughed, and I got up and turned the lights off and turned the TV back on and crawled back under the covers. But as soon as we were comfortable again, the TV went off, the lights came up, and the ceiling fan began spinning at full speed. Other things just kept happening that seemed to me like a child trying to grab your attention. Our family cat would come flying up the basement stairs as if being chased by some unseen entity. Laundry baskets of neatly folded clothes would flip themselves upside down onto the floor. You'd see things moving just out of the corner of your eye. And then there were the footsteps. Every day working in my basement office, I would hear the sound of men's boots walking across the floor upstairs, and I alone would be home. Sometimes this was frightening enough to send me to the front porch to wait out my day until my husband and son would be home. We have long since left that home, and my mother sold it, but I often have considered knocking on that door to ask the occupants if they've experienced any of this annoying, ghostly behavior.